You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Jim Dish with the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, joining you on Relevant Radio, 950 and 930 AM. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our Catholic Chicago radio programs that air throughout the week. Our broadcast week began with Father Greg Sackowitz and Mark Teresi, interviewing Father Hans Zollner and Juan Carlos Cruz about safeguarding children. Father Zollner is one of the world's leading experts in the area of safeguarding minors, and Mr. Cruz is an advocate for victim survivors and the survivor himself. Presently, you are assigned where? Are you in Rome right now, Father Zollner? I'm at the Gregorian University since 17 years, yes. I'm a full professor at the Institute of Psychology and president of the Center for Child Protection. And Juan Carlos? I live in Philly. I'm an executive for a multinational company and oh. do this on the side. Now, maybe wow. uh, you do this on the side? Yes. Wow. <laughs> but what a thing on the side. Yes. Maybe as a way to begin, Juan Carlos, just briefly tell us your story and how you met the Pope you First of all, you met the Pope when? <clears throat> I met him in April of 2018 after his visit to Chile in, um, in 2018, in January, where he was completely misinformed uh, by the bishops there um, who had um, told him that, you know, the abuse was over, that, you know, none of them had been complicit of anything. And, uh, but we were telling a completely different story, and, and the country, um, you know, was on our side because they saw it too. And so it was very sad to see these cardinals in Chile misinform the Pope so much for, and for so many years. Um, that things were fine, was blown out of proportion. That things were fine, that, that, that the three of us, uh, um, two friends and, and myself, were, were lying, were enemies of the church, and we wanted money and we wanted to destroy the church. Uh, which obviously was not true. I'm Catholic. I love my faith, and and I've remained Catholic despite everything because to me it's it's part of who I am and it's incredibly important. And I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for so my faith. So you were faith. sexually abused by a priest as yeah, a boy. I was sexually abused by a priest for eight years. Um, in eight years. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, it seems so embarrassing to to say it, you know, like when you, um, I was telling, you know, people last night, you know, when you consider yourself, you're an executive in a multinational company, um, you know, a global company, um, head of global public affairs, I've studied, I've done so many things. And then I, I think about myself as a younger boy, ad adolescent, and, you know, I let this man do that to me. And I think that's a question you that... You were a victim. Yeah, I, that, that's a question that many survivors ask themselves. No matter where you are in your healing process, you might be way ahead or, or, or just starting. That's always a lingering question that, that, that kills you inside. And so, now, just for a moment, Father Hans Zollner, how did you get involved in this area which has become a ministry for you? Now, I'm a trained and licensed psychologist and psychotherapist, mm -hmm. and in my training we studied, even in the 90s, already matters of um, sexual abuse, which normally doesn't um, uh, surface in a normal psychology training, but uh, we had that already in our uh, subjects. 
Then later on, we invited Monsignor Rossetti, who was at that time president of the St. Luke uh, Institute mm-hmm. uh, in Massachusetts, a treatment center for perpetrators. Um, that was after 2002 when the bishops in the U.S. had already um, 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 promulgated the Dallas Charter. Uh, so they were really tightening up on the uh, abuse and the prevention, especially. So, and then in 2010, the cases exploded in Germany. Um, at that time, there was a huge chaos and the same reaction that you can see in all places um, where the church leadership was not prepared for anything like that. So we had a media tsunami in 2010 in Germany, Middle Central uh, Europe and uh, beyond, and that set off the second wave of major public interest in this. Uh, But um, people don't know a lot about the facts, and they don't know a lot about the dynamics behind uh, perpetrators uh, in their psychic, uh, in their psychological life, in the circumstances. So we we published um, a book, a little book, and. um, then at the same time, our Jesuit um, general headquarter asked the Gregorian University to organize a major conference on this because they said it can't go on uh, all the time. So we we organized something in 2012, uh, a major conference that was pre- practically the predecessor to the uh, conference that we saw last year. And finally, I was called by the German federal government, uh, its research ministry, to be part of a working group on these matters. And I learned, I came to know the the who is who of the European experts on this matter. And uh, I came to know a professor, a psychiatrist, who developed on behalf of the German research ministry an e-learning program uh, uh, for the training of medical personnel and teachers in Germany uh, on uh, how to prevent abuse. And that was the starting point for the foundation of the Center for Child Protection at the Gregorian University in Rome. Now, maybe both of you, maybe one, Carlos, you could start. Uh, you, <coughs> you're, you spoke truth to power. Mm-hmm. Your truth to power. You just don't, <coughs> excuse me, approach... Uh, you know, go to Rome and say, I want to talk to the Pope about this. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? And then, Father, along with you, your, your priesthood now has has embraced this issue for the church, for the better, for the growth of the church. You know, we're, you're both speaking truth to power. How are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Juan Carlos? Well, yeah, so I, um, you know, there was an investigation after the Pope uh, said to the media that we were saying calumny. Mm-hmm. Um, they immediately came to Rome, and um, um, you know, he. It, it, what happened in Chile was terrible because, the, uh, you know, it's a majority Catholic country, and nobody was on the streets. Nobody, very few people went to the masses compared to what they expected, and so obviously something was very wrong. Mm-hmm. So the Pope came back, and um, we had a press conference. Um, us. Um, you know, saying that the Pope was misinformed, et cetera, et cetera. The whole media around the world took um, issue with it um, and helped us, um, you know, sort of uh, vocalize this or or, or um, put it around the world. And he had an investigation done by Monsignor Chicluna, Monsignor Bertomeo, uh, which, you know... So one calls them back up here. Yeah. After the Pope was informed by the Chile bishops and cardinals that everything's really fine. Mm-hmm. And then you, <clears throat> excuse me, you had a press conference with two other gentlemen. Yes. And publicly came out and said, it's wrong. Higher, you're lying. 
Yes. So you really you 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 stood up there at a press conference and, and said to the cardinals and bishops of Chile, oh, yes. you're lying to the pope. Oh yes, absolutely. And, and that's 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 one that's fantastic. It's no, incredible. And and yes. let me tell you what happened after after the investigation. Um, you know, um, obviously it came out because. Uh, uh, they came to New York because I live in the States. They came to New York to interview me, um, and then they went to Chile. But before I did a press conference, after I was you know, interviewed for more than four hours and sent a message to Chile, go talk to these people for the first time. I feel they are doing the right thing. I feel they are hearing us. And so more than 80 people, survivors, and uh, went to talk and tell the, their story, which were horrifying. And so they brought this, um, you know, report to Rome, um, told the Pope. The Pope immediately, um, you know, uh, issued an, a letter to the world apologizing, saying he had made a grave mistake and that he apologized to me and my two friends, and he invited us to the Vatican. Um, my friend stayed three days. So he listened. Absolutely. He he invited my three friend, my, my two friends for three days, and I stayed a week in his, with him, speaking to him, telling him all about this, what he. I felt he didn't know, and I felt also this is not just about Chile. This is about survivors everywhere, right? Because I couldn't make it about me, mm-hmm. because I know that so many other people around the world are are living what I'm, what I was living, and so immediately he also issued a. Um, he had the whole Chilean bishops conference come to Rome after he talked to us. He told me, "You show yourself here at this date." Uh, And he asked for their resignation, for the resignation of the 33 Chilean bishops. Now, he's um, kicked out eight already, uh, but there's still a lot of bad ones, which is, um, you know, and we can keep talking about it. But what I want to tell you is that the pope listens. I have seen a pope that uh, suffers so much with this tragedy. And, you know, when, when I talk to him and I've had the, the, the opportunity to keep seeing him and stay in touch with him and keep talking to him. And it's horrific when the, the, the summit that Fa- Father Hans was one of the, the people that organized it with Cardinal Supich. Um, and, you know, it was back in February of in, 19. Or 19, exactly. And to see so many bishops that went there and said, of course, yes, this is horrible. I spoke um, on a video. Other people spoke. And then many bishops w- went back to their um, dioceses or countries and kept doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And because there's this endemic a horrible situation around the world that bishops don't do anything until there is a scandal, and that cannot be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, you know, many people say, "Yeah, the Pope can stop this." The Pope, can. the Pope cannot stop this because he needs his people to collaborate. You are lucky in Chicago to have a cardinal that really cares and that really does the right thing. You have absolutely great mm-hmm. clergy here. But but um, it's not like that around the world. Father Hans, this is your priesthood now. How 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 does it how did this impact your priesthood and and what are your goals in terms of how you're looking at the job you're doing now? Yeah, what what is it all about being a priest? Mm-hmm. Uh, being a priest of Jesus Christ means uh, that uh, uh, we try to to live out 
what he tells us in the gospel, what his lifestyle was, what his relationships were. So where do we have to be? We have to be with those who have been wounded. We have to be with those who are called by him, the little ones, children, uh, uh, minors of age, all those who are vulnerable. So this is where the church has to be. And, and priests and bishops as representatives of the church need to follow this call. And, uh, and it is uh, uh, very much disappointing. It is very much astounding that um, we have forgotten over decades in the past that this is the place where, where we need to be. And I mean, when we celebrate Mass, um, uh, we celebrate that Jesus has suffered for us which means not only for my sins, but he has uh, suffered for all those who have been wounded and harmed grievously. And that is the place. He, he takes our weakness and our brokenness. And, and that is what we need to share with all survivors uh, and all victims of abuse. Now, Father Hans, I have a question. That is, when Juan Carlos and his two friends, the three of them, went to meet with the Pope, I think in 2018, is Juan Carlos and his friends... I don't want to say responsible, but the gathering of all the bishops and cardinals in February of 2019 in Rome, is that a direct outcome of Juan Carlos meeting with the Pope in 2018? <laughs> I, I cannot reply to that because I didn't uh, hear him say so. Mm -hmm. What happened uh, is over the years, and the Pope was very frank and open about this, he, he said himself that he had uh, followed a, a steep learning curve for him with regard to this issue. Now, go back to 2013 when he was elected. A week later, in his, I think it was his first public audience, he mentioned the issue of uh, child protection and abuse as one of the priorities of his uh, pontificate, 2013. In 2014 March, he established a Pontificate Commission for the Protection of Minors, of which I'm a member since the beginning, and he has given great attendance um, to, to that uh, commission. Uh, he has changed the law in 2016, uh, starting uh, with uh, what is called like a loving mother, where, where we, this is the first attempt to introduce something like a system of accountability of bishops and other church leaders. And we have seen the, the changes after 2019 summit um, to church law universal in many important points. So we see uh, an unfolding uh, development that uh, comes to grips with a reality that surfaces now. We don't know why it's surfacing now because many of those cases go back 50, 60 years uh, and and the question is, why did the church leaders at that time not really take care of, of the children and were focusing on, on the perpetrators and how they could better the perpetrators and bring them so that they wouldn't offend anymore, believing in psychiatry and in spirituality that they would deter them. But we, we learned uh, in the very hard way that this uh, didn't work. And, um, and that is the, the, the point that... Many then we're protecting the image of the church. Of, of course. Uh, uh, I think the 11th commandment for some in the church is don't create scandal. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, by doing so, that, that was the best way to prepare a bigger scandal. Because, of course, reality as, and truth comes out uh, mm -hmm. sooner or later. And then you pay a higher price instead of uh, confronting itself courageously head on. And this is what we need uh, to really to train bishops in all parts of the world where in society at large and in the church, this is not still not uh, yet a, a, a topic. And, 
uh, that is dealt with, um, let me say, at, uh, as a priority. I repeat, in society and in uh, in the church, because in many cultures, you don't talk about sexual misbehavior. Um, in Africa and Asia, in Latin America, in, in many parts, it's simply nothing that you could uh, openly talk about. And that is also why uh, Juan Carlos and, and his friends uh, um, have such an important voice and say in, in this, because they are leading the way for victims um, and survivors from parts of the world where it's still so shameful and sometimes even more harmful if you uh, talk about what has happened to you. Mm -hmm, good. Juan Carlos. Yes. You met with the Pope on several occasions and mm -hmm. told him your story along with your friends. How was the Pope transformed and changed by your visits? Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, like Father Zollner said, um, the Pope has always had a sensitivity to that topic for sure. <clears throat> what I think we were able to do and in my subsequent visits with him is sort of... Um, you know, there's sort of this Vatican speak, right, where they tell you one thing, but they really mean something else. <laughs> I tell the Pope directly like I'm talking to you, and I have no, I mince no words with him with all the respect um, that the Pope deserves. And, uh, you know, this friendship that we've developed is, I think, because of that, because I... You've been uh, very transparent and honest. Completely, completely. And, you know, w the one thing for me that is very important is to never make it about me because I realize that I am extremely blessed and lucky to be able to talk to him. But there are thousands of survivors around the world who are not heard. So... Um, I don't consider myself a hero or that I'm going to solve the problem with my own hands and I need a, a, I deserve a prize for it. <laughs> Quite far from that. I, people who know me can tell you I'm not like that. But I do believe You're the that, voice for those that don't have a voice. But I want to be that, you know. And, and, and many times in interviews they ask me, man, you know, there's such media fatigue with all this topic and bishops who just want to get it done with and you know and in some places you can get killed for accusing bishops literally i mean it's true um in latin america in india in in in, in places but in latin america which is what i know a lot of and i've so i've you can be killed for coming <clears throat> forward i've seen i mean in peru there's a bishop that has sued two survivors for uh exposing him right um so uh the, it's it's incredible the stories that we could go in into here uh, and the pope hears them and he does things that people don't know um and he does a lot now um you know it, i don't want to say that this is a problem that it, it's um it's solved it's there it's you know like i said there's many many survivors that have no voice uh many many survivors that kill themselves uh, which is horrible. Uh, I have friends that have committed suicide because of this. And so it is so important to keep this topic afloat, to have people like Father Zollner, to have Cardinal Supic, to have um, Monsignor Shikluna, to have people like that, to have a pope that cares. Um, now, many times they tell me, uh, Cardinal Erasuiz, who was a uh, a monster in Chile who, who was the one that hid everything, who was terrible. He told me once when I was trying to get information about our case, he said, 
the times of the church are not the times of the world. Yes, the times of the church have to be the times of the world. Exactly. Survivors cannot wait anymore. They are suffering in silence or not so in silence, so he told but you they're that. suffering. This cardinal, yes, uh -huh. he, was a, he was a monster. Um, and so, so we need to um, have this topic constantly on our minds and doing something for survivors. We thank Father Zollner and Mr. Cruz for coming to our studio to be guests on Catholic Chicago. As you're probably aware, it's tax season again. This past week on our Voice of Charity program, co-hosts Marie Jochum and Michael Baird talked with their guests about Ladder Up, an organization that does a tremendous job offering free tax preparation services to thousands of people in need. We as Catholic Charities are very, very grateful for the work of Ladder Up and the volunteers uh, this tax preparation services that Ladder Up provides are part of Catholic Charities Community Development and Outreach Services. And that area helps connect people to a wide range of programs, including nutrition, health, education, employment, all in communities that have limited resources. We should mention that tax assistance is a critical service at our Women, Infant, and Children Food Centers, or WIC, as we call them, and we'll call that, refer to them in this conversation for sure. And this area really offers an opportunity for people for education and practical assistance things maybe our clients might not know about regarding taxes um, and may not be aware that they may qualify for certain tax credits and often free tax preparation yeah we should also explain uh, that WIC centers operate in conjunction with the Illinois Department of Human Services so eligible mothers and their ch children can come uh, to shop for pre-approved groceries and produce that are nutritious uh, and meet basic health needs. In addition, Catholic Charities trains community members at the WIC centers on skills that relate to grocery store business, such as taking inventory, using a cash register, even obtaining certification on using a forklift, which I've, I've used a forklift before. That's a lot of fun. Are you certified? I am not certified. Okay, well, um, you should visit a WIC center. I, I should. Uh, so all around, WIC centers are really positive places where Catholic Charities works to decrease economic stress and enhance community health because we know economic stress is connected to chronic disease. And there's over 50,000 um, low-income shoppers that come through our WIC centers. And so this is really a strategic spot to have our Ladder Up partnership happen. Yeah. So today we're going to talk with two very dynamic women who make this happen. Christine Cheng is the executive director of Ladder Up, the organization that's been providing hardworking people with opportunities to move up the economic ladder for 25 years. And Doris Wilson, who's the director of special projects for the WIC Food Centers program. Welcome, Christine and Doris. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. So, Christine, we're going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about Ladder Up, its history, and your tax assistance program. Absolutely. Uh, well, so Ladder Up, we are a Chicago-based nonprofit founded here in 1994, and really everything that we do is focused on helping hardworking people access the financial resources they need to move up the economic ladder. So that takes several different forms, tax Assistance is obviously a very big and prominent one at this time of year, but we also do other services, including helping students uh, access financial aid for college, doing financial coaching. We help uh, provide legal representation for people who are involved in tax controversies with the IRS, for instance. Um, so we do a lot of things that are all, again, focused on helping people access those critical financial resources. Which is amazing because I, I really do think that the 
that taxes and financial aid and all the things you just mentioned really can be confusing and scary for folks. But they can also be really helpful once you understand the whole system. Right. I mean, uh, again, it's sort of at the beginning of time in 1994, it's sort of like we understood that there are benefits out there, but it's not always easy to access them. I mean, you're, there's red, I mean, there's red tape. It's hard. There, it's complicated. You don't know where to turn to. You don't know what the next thing is. You don't want to make a mistake. Right. Um, so absolutely, there, there are a lot of systems out there that people have to navigate, and it's not always easy to do so. Yeah. So who who's eligible to receive these services? Who can come talk to you? Absolutely. For our tax assistance program, we do have some income limits um, for single filers, meaning they're the only one on their tax return. The upper income limit is 30000 okay. in annual income. For households, meaning any instance of two or more people, if that's a married couple, if it's a parent with at least one child, whatever the combination is, the upper income limit is 56000 in annual income. So in terms of topics that you all cover, what what is the scope? Um, what's the scope of the program that people can access? Absolutely. So um, by and large, if you're within those income limits, you are likely eligible from a topical perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, W-2 income, 1099 miscellaneous income, Uber drivers, yeah, unemployment, Social Security benefits, we can process all of that. There are a few topics that are outside of our training scope. Mm-hmm. And I said one example would be rental income. Okay. We do occasionally have people who come in who have a property that they do rent for income. We're not able to, to process that. So there is a full list of what's in scope and out of scope on our website. Okay, great. Which And that website is www.goladderup.org. So what's the average tax refund for clients that you see? Uh, our average refund for somebody receiving one, because not everybody who comes sure. in is <laughs> receiving one, is about $2,400. Wow. So what type of interaction do you have with folks maybe who are coming in um, for services at different times of the year, maybe not to file taxes, but they want assistance on how to um, engage their finances better so maybe they don't even have to pay a tax refund at the end of the year? Right. So we have, you know, we have financial coaching that operates. Uh, there's an ad hoc program that operates sort of any time of year, sure. um, a little bit less so during tax season because our staff is so busy. But then we do have, for instance, a six-week program called Project Money where uh, a client is meeting with a volunteer financial coach six times in a row to really work through whatever goals the client has identified. That's debt reduction, credit repair. There are a whole host of different things that people have in their mind of what they want to work on. They just sometimes need access to resources, some support, some accountability, some encouragement, whatever that might be. So that's another program that we run. We usually run about three cycles of project money in the spring, summer, and fall. Okay. Well, one of the goals Catholic Charities has with this program is to infuse money back into communities. Can you explain a little bit um, about how that's accomplished before we go into our first break? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, last year, just to give some sense of scope, you know, we served over 20,000 taxpayers across the state, uh, helping them access over $39 million in tax refunds. And the research shows, I mean, wow. <laughs> a lot of that money is going to the local economy. Our sure. clients are telling us that they're using this refund to help pay for their uh, heating, their light, clothes for the kids, school supplies. So this money is recycled in the local local economy, which then, of course, boosts all those businesses that are, you know, operating the communities that we serve. So That's so great. So are the, are the tax professionals that work with you, are they paid staff or are they all volunteers? How does that work? So we have a mix. The vast majority of people who are involved in our tax assistance program are volunteers. Okay. So last year we activated over 1,000 volunteers to help in the program. We do also have a smaller fleet of kind of paid staff that helps supplement them. There are certain days of the week that are a little harder for a lot of our volunteers are working professionals. It's hard for them to get away from their desk during the week at, you know, 10 a.m. So we do have some some paid staff as well that helps out. So how 
do those volunteers get trained? You're obviously not just throwing a taxes for dummies book at <laughs> right. them and saying, hey, figure it out. Right. <laughs> so we, during the fall and the early winter, we have uh, our training program is sort of live at that point. So we have an online component that really goes over the tax law, really building a foundation for tax knowledge. And then we have, an, we have in-person trainings as well that help with how do I use the software yeah. to apply tax law and actually prepare a return for someone. For more information about the Tax Preparation Program and all the ministries of Catholic Charities, go to catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. We invite you to stick around for some great information from our Respect Life Ministry and from our local deacons. Back after a short break. Sure in Begora, the 17th Annual Catholic Charities St. Patrick's Day Celebration is the place to be on Thursday, March 12th. Join us from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. at Fitzgerald's on Roosevelt Road in Berwyn. Irish music and dancing, a live auction, a grand raffle, and traditional Irish food and drink are all awaiting you. This fun celebration benefits the New Hope Housing Programs, making permanent housing and self-sufficiency a reality for homeless families. A limited number of sponsorships are still available. Get out your green gear and support Catholic Charities West Regional Services at this happy time of year. For more information, go to www.catholiccharities.net slash St. Pat's or call 708-329-4022. That's www.catholiccharities.net slash St. Pat's or call 708-329-4022. Celebrate St. Patrick's Day while giving kids the tools they need to build brighter futures. Hi, I'm Mark Schmelzer from Mercy Home for Boys and Girls. Support Mercy Home's March for Kids this month. You can provide kids in crisis with a safe home, healing from trauma, life skills, good education, and career development that will help them become successful, independent adults. Donate today at mercyhome.org slash marchforkids. Any gift made throughout the month of March will be matched by a generous donor so your support goes twice as far to help kids when you give through Mercy Homes March for Kids. Donate today or learn more about other ways that you can play a part at mercyhome.org slash marchforkids. Thank you for your support. This Lent, you are invited to participate in CRS Rice Bowl, the Catholic Relief Service's Lenten Faith in Action Program. CRS Rice Bowl provides the opportunity to live out the Lenten practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, while lifting up the stories of our brothers and sisters overseas. 75% of funds raised through your generous donations will support CRS programs around the world, while the remaining 25% will fund Rice Bowl grants for local programs here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. To learn more about current Rice Bowl grantees and to access CRS Rice Bowl resources such as Stories of Hope, videos, and meatless meal recipes, visit archchicago.org slash CRS. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 950 a.m. and 930 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review.
Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 AM. I'm Jim Dish, the Archdiocese of Chicago's radio TV office with highlights of local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. On Fully Alive this week, Ryan Lentz and Dawn Fitzpatrick from the Archdiocese of Chicago's Office of Human Dignity and Solidarity talked with Christopher West, founder of the CORE Project. Good morning, Christopher. Good morning, Ryan and Don. Happy to be with you and your audience. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. So, Christopher, I think I first heard your name in college. I was given a copy <laughs> of Theology of the Body for Beginners. So I know this is something that you have been passionate about for many, many years. Um, because uh, it's been many years since I've been in college. <laughs> so um, so I would just love to hear, how did you first get connected to these teachings of the Theology of the Body, and kind of how, how did this come to be your life's work? Yeah, well, I would put it this way. I was raised in the church in the 70s and 80s on what you might call the starvation diet gospel. <laughs> the, <laughs> the basic message in the air was your desires are bad, they're only going to get you in trouble, you need right. to repress all that, but follow all these rules and you'll be a good upstanding Christian citizen. Mm -hmm. So in my teenage years, I became a quick convert to what I call the fast food gospel, <laughs> which, which is the secular culture's promise of immediate gratification for the hunger. Right. right? In, in the words of Bruce Springsteen, everybody's got a hungry heart. Um, but, but the problem is we, we don't know where to take that hunger. Yeah, so so we, I ended up taking it to the, the cultural solution. But in my college years, the grease and the sodium of all that fast food caught up with me, so to speak. And it put me on my knees on a, on a, in a college dorm in 1988 saying, God in heaven, if you exist, you better show me why you gave me these desires, because they're getting me and everybody I know into a hell of a lot of trouble. Yeah. What, what is your plan? And that sent me on a journey, Ryan, uh, that a few years later led me to discover St. John Paul II's theology of the body. This is the early 90s now. And for the first time in my life, I realize Christianity is not a starvation diet. It's an invitation to a banquet. Right. Mm -hmm. Banquet that really corresponds to the deepest hungers and cries of the human heart. And John Paul II told me that hunger, not only was it good, not only did God put it there to lead me to him, but he gave it a name. He called it Eros. Mm -hmm. E-R-O-S. And, and I was thinking, what? What do you mean? I mean... In my mind, formed by the fast-food pornographic culture, the word eros, erotic, was, was nothing but pornographic. And he said, no, no, no. You are confusing the Greek word eros with the Greek word porneia. Porneia is the distortion of God's plan for eros. God gave us eros to be like the fuel of a rocket. It's meant to launch us to the stars, to the infinite, to the eternal. Right. This was the good news, and I knew then I'd spend the rest of my life studying this teaching and sharing it with the world. <laughs> you know, I have to say, Christopher, I've taken several classes with you at Theology of the Body Institute and, um, and just, you know, read your books and talked to you around the campfire. I mean, there's just, there's just so much rich information in John Paul II's teachings. Um, and I think I've just, you know, 
paring it down to one thing, what I one of the things that really got me in studying theology of the body is the fact that, you know, we've we've always thought of our church as being very prescriptive and a church that tells us you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Yeah. Um, but in studying theology of the body, what I've learned is our faith is really about absolute free will and when is the right time to say yes. So Amen. Mm-hmm. And what are we saying yes to? Right. We're, we're saying yes to the deepest satisfaction of the cry of the human heart. But we need new eyes to see the Church this way. We need new eyes. John Paul II would put it this way. We need new eyes to see the sacramentality of the world. What, what does that mean? It means that the good things of this world are signs, signs that point us to another world, another reality. And the greatest sign that God has given us to point us to that other reality is the human body. Ours is the faith of the incarnation, of God in the flesh. You know, we we tend to think of religion as escaping from the body and the physical world to reach God. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. Christianity is exactly the opposite movement. It is God entering this physical world and taking on a body to reach us. Right. How do we encounter God? We encounter Him in the body, through the body. This is my body given up for you. It is the source and summit of everything we believe as Catholics. So it's so important to realize that theology of the body is not some footnote in our faith. Theology of the body is our faith. It's the faith of the Incarnation, the Word made flesh. But we need to enter into what that means, and that's what this Made for More event is all about. Great. And I know that this is something that you've been doing around the country with some collaborators. So, um, yeah, just how did this how did this particular program come kind of come into being? It's the it's the latest incarnation again to use that (laughs) word. It's the latest incarnation of 25 years of of looking for the the right images, the right language, the right music, the right uh, art, uh, secular art, sacred art. This this evening of reflection is a beautiful, sensual experience, and by that I mean it awakens your senses, right? Right. Ours ours is the faith of of smells and bells. We, We encounter the divine in and through our bodies, as we've been saying, and this event is designed of... After 25 years of doing this work, it's the, it's the culmination of, of art, of reflection, of music, of beauty, to open our eyes to this sacramental view of existence, that the things we love in this life, the, the beauty of music, the goodness of food, the delight of human love, all of these things are little sacraments that God gives us to point us to the eternal, to open our eyes to the banquet. It truly corresponds to the hunger of our hearts. That's mm-hmm. what this is all about. So a, a lot of people listening may have seen you somewhere, you know, doing a, a lecture-type presentation. So how is this made for more different from those trip, typical presentations that people may yes, have seen this, you give? This is not a lecture at a podium. This is more like a night at the theater. Mm-hmm. This is a, an artistic entering into the gift and mystery of what it means to be human. All of the modern popes have made this point, that we need art to reach the heart Mm -hmm. with the good news of the gospel. And 
we've kind of lost this in the modern world. Our, our art, in many ways, especially a certain brand of religious art, has kind of become saccharine and kind of kitschy. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we need to restore the depth of, of good art. That's the goal of this event, through music, through storytelling, through appeals to sacred and secular art, all interwoven with, with a dynamic presentation. The goal here is to awaken the deepest yearnings of our hearts and to point them, orient them in the direction of authentic satisfaction. Our faith, as right. I said earlier, is not a starvation diet. It's an invitation to a luscious, lavish banquet, and that's what this event is all about. Right. Well, and we always talk about coming to the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? And so really, yeah. so what does that really mean? And that's what we're talking about here um, in this presentation. What does it really mean to come to the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? Yes, exactly. That's that's the invitation of Scripture. We We tend to forget, or maybe we've never even realized, that the Bible begins with a wedding in an earthly paradise, mm-hmm. and it ends with a wedding in a heavenly paradise. And the whole purpose of human marriage, the whole purpose of human love, is to point us to that eternal reality. That's what we were saying earlier about the sacramentality of our bodies. Think mm-hmm. about it. Right. A, a man's body does not make sense by itself, nor does a woman's body. Seen in light of each other, unless we're blind, and that's the problem in the modern world, we've lost sight of these things, we see in the sexual difference, we see a call to holy, life-giving communion. Right. Well, and I, I think that's so important to understand. And the other thing that people, they look at theology of the body and they think, well, this is Catholic sex ed. We're going to be talking about sexuality, so it's Catholic sex ed. So I know from, from you that that's not true. So why don't you speak on that for a second? Yes. So, so let's, let's take this where it goes. What is the call to Holy Communion inscribed in our bodies? St. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that the union of man and woman in one flesh is a great mystery that opens up for us who Christ is and who the Church is and what it means to be human and why we're here, where we come from, and where we are headed. If we come to see our bodies rightly, we discover what Pope Francis calls the golden key that unlocks the entire story of salvation. I love that expression. It's marvelous. Really and truly, our, our bodies as men and women are the golden key that unlocks the whole biblical story. How so? Well, here's the whole biblical story in five words. John, you've heard me say this many times. <laughs> what are those five words? God wants to... Marry us. Marry us. <laughs> God wants to marry us. And he wanted this eternal marital plan to be so obvious to us that he chiseled an image of it right in our body. Right. The call to Holy Communion inscribed in our bodies is a sign of the Holy Communion of the Eucharist. This is not the way people typically see their bodies. 
No, not yeah. at all. Yeah. We are speaking with Christopher West about Made for More, a Theology of the Body presentation that's coming to the Archdiocese uh, later this March. We should mention those dates. Uh, it's coming to St. Alphonsus in Lakeview on uh, Tuesday, March 24th. And then the next day is going to be at St. Damien in Oak Forest on Wednesday, March the 25th. And both evenings will be at 7 p.m. And this is a, a very elaborate presentation. It's about two and a half hours, right, Christopher? Yeah, um, two and a half hours with an intermission, kind of, as I said earlier, like a, like a night at the theater. Yes, it's, it sounds so exciting. I'm really excited about it. Um, and you, of course, have Mike Mangione with you, and he is a musician and a storyteller. So what, what is his role? Mike Mangione is, is our musical artist. He is He's a folk singer. He's a storyteller. He's like, he's like a Catholic Bob Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is a troubadour. This man sings from his heart, and his lyrics weave together the themes that we'll be talking about, not, not in so much a, a prose sense, but in a storytelling way yeah. that really cracks open the heart to, to enter in to the, the gift of, of our faith in a, a very creative way, very eye-opening and, and heart-rending way. Well, and I, and I know from from meeting him, um, I think it was last summer, I was out um, in, in the Philadelphia area for a class you guys were doing together, and um, and he was talking about his inspiration was actually being at a presentation that you were giving, and then he delved deeper into Theology of the Body, and then he wanted to write songs about it. That's right. 21 years ago, I was giving a talk. He was still in college at the time, and uh, he came to this retreat I was giving, and I could tell he didn't want to be there. <laughs> it, was a, it was a long weekend for him. But a few years later, I was back in his area giving another talk, and he, he came up to me and he said, that weekend changed my life, yeah. and I've been writing music, I've been bringing what I learned from you into my lyrics, and he handed me a CD, and, and I knew right away this guy had a very special gift and talent. And he and I have been traveling the world together for many years, uh, weaving his music in together with, with my presentation. But, you know, and, and I have to say, from somebody who has also been called to Theology of the Body, it's, it's one of those things, it just gets, it gets into your heart, and then you got to do something with it. Um, God, yeah. God won't leave you alone once, once you understand his message through Theology of the Body. Um, I mean, I find the message in everything I do, whether I'm watching a movie, whether I'm listening to a song, whether I'm talking to my husband, whether we're in a conversation and people are telling me what's going on in their life. I, I, I find references to theology of the body in everything. Um, and That's because it is in everything. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's written into the very fabric of creation. And what John Paul has given us is really like a, a pair of glasses to see the world as it really is. Mm -hmm. And oh, how beautiful it really is. It's right. like seeing things in full color or in, in, in a whole new dimension. Or, you know like those stereograms, those, those graphs that you look at that just look like a bunch of jumbled up things on a page, but then you shift your focus and the image pops out. And yes, <laughs> yes. That's what this is like. Right. Well, and I just know... Um, you know, after going to the first class at Theology of the Body Institute, now what I had already been studying Theology of the Body at that point, and uh, then I discovered Theology of the Body Institute once I came to the Archdiocese of Chicago, and the first class I took was with, with Bill Donahue, it wasn't with you, but I learned so much about the Mass, and I every time I go to church now, every time I go to Mass, it's such a different experience 
thanks to what Bill taught us in Theology of the Body. You know, um, it, it's just it's incredible just relating Jesus to us the way that uh, Theology of the Body does. And it's 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 kind of sad that we even have to call it something else. Like, I know. Theology of the Body makes it sound like some new thing or side thing. Or, no, no, no. This is just a way of seeing what our faith always has been, what it really is, yeah. and how how God really and truly wants to satisfy the deepest cry of our hearts. If if there are listeners out there who are who are thinking, I, I know I'm looking for something. I know there's got to be more than what this world is holding out to me. That's what the Made for More event is all about. It's about pointing us in the direction of the real satisfaction of the deepest cry of our hearts. And it really will turn the lights on so that you can see what's going on in the modern world, so that you can understand the crisis that's going on in the Church, so that you can understand difficulties and struggles in your own life and have hope for coming out of those struggles into the newness of life that God really wants to grant us. Right. Well, and I think it's it becomes more and more obvious what Satan's plan is <laughs> in our in our world when we understand what God's plan is for exactly. us. Exactly. Uh, be, because Satan's twisted it all up, all around the body and our relationships. My goodness, right? And our, this is- so important for people under, to understand, and I always teach my students this, because it changes, it kind of shifts us in a direction that makes sense of the whole world, mm-hmm. and it is foundational Catholic cosmology, if you will, an understanding of the universe. It's this. The devil does not have his own clay. All he can do is take God's clay, and God looked at everything he made and said, behold, it is very good, right? The devil gets his hands on that good clay, and he twists it up, right? We live in this world that is so confused about the meaning of the body, Mm -hmm. so confused about the meaning of gender, so confused about the meaning of marriage. Why? Because the enemy has got his hands on the great mystery of human sexuality, and he's turned it into a great misery. (laughs) But Uh, this is the good news of the gospel. Christ comes into that misery to reveal the great mystery, the great mystery of who we are. That's what this Made for More event is all about, untwisting what's been twisted up by sin and by the enemy so that we can see the world as God created it to be, and we can see how beautiful we are as men and women made in His image and likeness. Great. Well, uh, Christopher, we're so grateful that you were able to take some time this morning to share with us a little bit about your passion and um, and and to talk about Made for More. We're uh, we're really excited to be able to host you uh, later this month. So again, those dates are going to be March 24th at St. Alphonsus in Lakeview, and then March 25th at St. Damien in Oak Forest. Um, again, thank you so much for being with us today, and uh, You're look forward to so having you. So welcome. I, I hope the listeners out there. These events typically sell out. So if you if something tapping you on the shoulder right now. Please, please take action. You can get more information and register for the upcoming Made for More presentations by visiting coreproject.com. Core is spelled C-O-R, coreproject.com. Let's wrap up today's program with a highlight of our Deacons Radio program. Here's Deacon Richard Hudzik 
visiting with Deacon Jerry Keenan, Director of Operations with Renew My Church. Good day to you, Deacon Jerry. Uh, good morning. Okay, so uh, there really is a person sitting here in the studio with me. Um, I'm not merely talking to myself. Uh, so, Jerry, we're talking about Renew My Church, and I struggle even to say, is it a program? Is it an initiative? Is it, what? what's the, the apt word for it, Renew My Church? Well, I think the proper way to do it is the way to, the way the Cardinal uh, describes it, as being the largest transformation that the Archdiocese of Chicago has ever seen. Okay. All right. That's, that's, that's a good, uh, uh, I don't want to say merely aspirational, but that, that's a good comprehensive uh, step back, uh, a view from 20,000 feet. Now, um, I made reference to you being part of the Renew My Church team. What, what, uh, what's your role there? My specific role is being the director of operations for the operations transition team. And Which sure, sounds pretty fancy. What does that mean? It, it, it does. It does. But it's, uh, it's actually all just words. Uh, actually, what I do is I lead the team that works with parishes that are uniting uh, uh, as a part of Renew My Church uh, to help uh, the pastors shepherd the uh, people of the parishes that are coming together into one parish community and also to do a lot of the structural work that needs to be done in terms of being able to bring together uh, the operations of uh, somewhere between two and sometimes as many as four parishes. And uh, why you? What uh, What's your background that, that brings you to this place? Uh, my background is actually as a international management consultant uh, I did most of my work in the energy business and have a lot of background in large transformational activities, mergers and acquisitions, and other things like that. I also spent 10 years uh, as an interim uh, executive, mostly being uh, sent into uh, troubled companies as an interim chief operating officer, chief financial officer. So I have a lot of experience in trying to work quickly but also in terms of trying to bring people and organizations together. So then you're, you come into the process uh, after the uh, conversations about parish alignments comes into play. That There's a lot of work between the announcement of, of which parish is going to be uniting where and then actually having that happen, I, I, I dare say. Yes, the, the, the period of from the announcement until the uh, unification, at least the uh, corporate unification, the bringing together of the parishes and the people, is a 12 to 18-month 18 18-month 18 period um, because like any other transition, uh, uh, you're dealing with people's lives. You're dealing with things that people value. And so the process of bringing people together into one community is one that needs to be done carefully, um, but it does need to be done. It does. You say it's it's something that's important, and you're you're, uh, so to speak, messing with people's churches. Um, there are few topics more sensitive to a person than than that, and so uh, anxiety is high. The stakes are high. Um, people are fearful. Uh, people are also challenged. 
Indeed, but people are also hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, the part of the opportunity here is to uh, is to help people to stop focusing on the past, on what their losses are, and start to focus on the future together. Uh, and, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and 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 that and that doesn't happen overnight. Uh, so it, it is a process that, that is ongoing, and it continues even after our work is done and our colleagues uh, who focus primarily on mission and evangelization in the uh, Building a New Reality team uh, are already already working. Remember, this is a, we're humans, and this is a transformational aspect of things. Using that word transformation, Jerry, at the, the outset, you'd made mention of the fact that uh, the Cardinal speaks of Renew My Church as the largest transformation of the church in Chicago in its history. And so um, that's largest transformation, significant uh, work that we're about here. So um, let me come at this in two directions. One is, why do we find ourselves beginning this transformation or in the midst of this transformation? And where are we hoping to end up? We're not just shuffling uh, pieces on the chessboard for entertainment. Um, presumably, we're, we're headed in a direction. So first off, why the need? What is the need for a transformation of pair structures? Well, I think one of the reasons is, is because uh, the number of people who are participating in our parishes has been shrinking dramatically. Um, the numbers are we have le- more than 25 percent less people at Mass on Sunday than we did 10 years ago. And just over the past year, from 2018 through 2019, the decline was over 4 percent just in one year. In some parishes, it was more than 10 percent. And so there, w- we need to be very understanding of the fact that if people aren't participating, but the information that we have otherwise tells us that people are still searching for uh, spiritual uh, uh, guidance, people are still looking for meaning in their life, they're not coming to us anymore. And the question comes, why not? And what are we going to do about it? And part of that why not, I suppose that uh, writ large, the, uh, the world in which we live, at least in the United States, is different from what it was uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, Indeed. Uh, it, you know, if we think about the world uh, of 50 years ago in the 1960s, uh, the uh, people... Uh, were parish was still a, a a center of people's lives. Catholic schools were full, churches were full. People participated in that, and there was a dynamic around the parish. The reality is, in most places, the parish is no longer the hub of people's lives, and uh, so our our culture has become much more secular and less focused around Jesus Christ's message to us to go out and teach all nations. 
Which is why we're doing this. I mean, this is just not to uh, to uh, bump up uh, attendance numbers. There's The gospel calls us to do this. You can listen to all our local Catholic radio programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And this program you're listening to and all our Catholic Chicago radio programs are now available on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. Thanks for listening to us every Saturday morning here on Relevant Radio, 950 and 930 a.m. I'm Jim Dish for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend, everyone. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.